you want to know what's going on in state government, today's panelists are some great sources. Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niket of Bloomberg, and Julie Carr-Smythe of the Associated Press are experienced journalists who have the important job of keeping us informed about what's happening in government. Today we're going to talk about elections, what's going on with various marijuana proposals, and some other hot topics from the state capitol. It is a reporter's roundtable this week on Town Hall Ohio. This is Town Hall Ohio, home to interesting people, engaging issues, and enlightening stories. Town Hall Ohio is a production of the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation, working to forge a partnership between farmers and consumers, and is supported by Nationwide. Nationwide is on your side. Now, here's Town Hall Ohio host, Joe Corneli. Walk around the State House on a busy day of hearings or events, and you'll find a lot of lawmakers, staff, and lobbyists, and you'll bump into a few journalists. Their job is to keep tabs on the lawmakers, staff, and lobbyists, and others, and then make sure that you and I have a good understanding of what's going on. Their job is to also make guest appearances on Town Hall Ohio. So we want to welcome back three members of the State House Press Corps. Joe Ingalls is with Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niket of Bloomberg, Julie Carr Smythe of the Associated Press. Folks, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having Hello. us. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Julie was joking back in the day. You could do a radio show in a pair of jeans, and now because of cameras and FaceTime, you have to, I'm sorry you had to dress up today. <laughs> I know. It's a real bummer. No uh, pajamas. That, well, that's good. I have my fuzzy slippers here under the, under the table. So, uh, Joe, let's, let's just start with you. Uh, the big thing in the political arenas these days is Governor Kasich uh, stepped out of the presidential race just recently before we recorded this, did his first interview, talked about where he is going forward. Uh, Give us your sense of, uh, oh, I guess how it all transpired for Mr. Kasich and and where he stands now. Well, uh, right now he's trying to figure out exactly what role he wants to play. He's not really coming out and saying uh, exactly what he thinks of Donald Trump, uh, although he is saying that uh, he he believes party unity is important. Uh, He also says that he does not want to be a third candidate. party candidate uh, run independently. So um, he said he didn't think that would feel right. Uh, So right now he's kind of uh, stepping back and uh, looking at what's going on in Cleveland. Uh, It is expected that he will eventually come around and embrace Donald Trump enough to uh, support party unity. But whether he actually embraces Donald Trump and his ideas and, and actually endorses him, I mean, that could be more dicey. And Joe, it's a complicated walk for Governor Kasich because the cam- the convention will be here in his home state. I think at one point he really hoped that he would be uh, the the grand poobah up there, except the, the nomination, son. the favorite son. And and he up to primary day when we delivered him an incredible uh, primary victory in the Republican side. He probably thought those hopes were alive, but now he has had to readjust and recalibrate. Uh, He's been pretty quiet until this interview uh, yesterday, I guess, with um, Anderson Cooper to talk about what he plans to do. So uh, he has to be careful to support party unity, which means supporting Trump and and keeping the convention from going uh, to pot, you know, while he's up there. And the interview was pretty interesting with Anderson Cooper on CNN. It was, like you said, the first 
interview since he got out of the race. And um, he said some things we already knew, that he wasn't inclined to be the vice presidential running mate for Donald Trump. Uh, as Joe said, he's on the fence. He's undecided, he said, about whether to endorse him. But he also shed some light on how he ended up getting out of the race. Um, you know, we have to go back to the Indiana primary where uh, Donald Trump won convincingly and John Kasich wasn't even competing there. He was going to try and win uh, or do well in Oregon and California coming up on the calendar. But Donald Trump wins big. Ted Cruz gets out of the race. And uh, Governor Kasich was actually set to fly the next day to Washington to, as he said in this interview, meet with the press and meet with donors. His thought was, okay, I finally have Donald Trump one-on-one. Let's see if the big money, as he put it, came to me. But as he's apparently sitting on the plane in the tarmac in Columbus, he decides, no, I can't give this, I can't go forward pretending like I'm going to run this race to the end if, in fact, I get out because I don't get the money in 72 hours. So he decided to pull the plug then. So we we keep hearing Mr. Trump referred to as the presumptive Republican nominee. That means he hasn't reached the set number of delegates, whatever that number is, that he has to have. 1237. (laughs) (laughs) I should have known. Um, So is he the nominee? Is there anything that might, could happen that would change that? At this point, no. I mean, he's, I haven't looked at the, the most recent number, but he's within, say, a hundred. Um, we still have California to come. We still have New Jersey, which is a winner take all state. I mean, I guess there is some parallel universe where, you know, he falls short, but with, without, you know, a, an opponent in the race, he should be able to pick up the, the delegates he needs to get to that 1237. What's going to be more interesting is what happens in Cleveland and, you know, the fight over the party platform, what happens with the delegates who are, you know, on the first ballot, they're committed to the candidates who are out of the race now, like Governor Kasich, um, you know, but what happens with, with, you know, releasing of delegates and how does that play into the, the fights over the party platform and what Donald Trump wants to do? So uh, could part of that process derail Trump? Well, I mean, I think it is very unlikely to impossible, like Mark says, but uh, certainly it's been a year for surprises, right. and um, with 16 people initially in the race, and now we're down to just one. But those are some wild card delegates out there. I mean, Marco Rubio actually ended the race with more delegates than John Kasich. Uh, Kasich has delegates. Christie has delegates. Uh, certainly, Jeb Bush has delegates, and they will be using those to try to uh, at least affect uh, something about where the party goes from here, if not to bring forth another candidate. It certainly looks like he's going to be the nominee, though. I can't imagine any scenario when he wouldn't be. So you guys all have watched numerous presidential races. I probably should have asked this before I talked about the specifics of what's going to happen for Mr. Trump now. How did we get here in the first place? This is the (laughs) single strangest (laughs) presidential race I have ever seen in my life. candidates that you typically think of from governors to senators uh, shot down right away. Um, He's characterized as a reality TV star. What does that say about what's going on in the state of the American voter right now? It's not good. It's not good at all. I think uh, we have this whole campaign uh, basically has been focused on things that are not real issues for people. Uh, most Americans, if you talk to them, they want to know 
uh, how the economy is going to be fixed so that it helps them, how uh, ordinary working people are going to be able to afford their, to send their kids to college. Uh, people want the things that uh, they feel are affecting them. And when you've got um, the insults, the jabs, the uh, all the trading of barbs constantly over things that a lot of people can, you know, regard as silly, basically, uh, it causes a, a real problem in the democracy in that people are not hearing where candidates stand on issues. And that's really unfortunate because had Governor Kasich had an opportunity to really talk about the issues and where he stands on them, he would have been a stark contrast to some of the other candidates there. And it would have been good for voters because regardless of whether you like Governor Kasich or not, his viewpoints are different. And it would have been nice to have that. Well, and we've been watching the fracturing of the parties over the past couple cycles. You know, the Tea Party movement obviously came forth uh, very strongly with some different ideas. We had a challenge to overtake the Central Committee of our own state party here in Ohio from a Tea Party candidate. Um, they felt like they were not being listened to, that the party itself was moving away from its core issues, particularly in the in the area of the size of government. And so we saw that on that side. And then on the on the Democratic side, it's been really interesting to watch that so many young people um, coming up are supporting Bernie Sanders, who is an admitted socialist uh, against Hillary Clinton, maybe for some of the same reasons, just, you know, everything's looking like there's an anointment of the next president. You know, a Bush Clinton was what we were all thinking was going to happen this year. And and people were saying, no, we don't want that. We don't want our government to look like uh, the English government we rebelled against. Are, are the concerns uh, within the Democratic Party similar, but probably not as pronounced, uh, that we've got these uh, two very distinctly different candidates uh, running on the D side, Mark? Well, I think the similarity that runs across both uh, both parties is sort of the complete dissatisfaction within the electorate right now with the status quo, with the establishment, uh, you know, a sense that the, the, the political system as we've known it has not worked for them. We have wages that are stagnating. We have people who uh, don't feel secure in their jobs if they have them. And a sense that, you know, politics as usual just isn't working anymore, that we need to, you know, think outside the box and go do what we're calling these outsider candidates. And you're, you're seeing, I think, a willingness to sort of disregard maybe some of the traditional cues we might have looked for in, in past elections and these voters looking to candidates like Trump and like Bernie Sanders just thinking, hey, you know, what's, what's we, what we've been doing hasn't worked. Let's try something different. So as I heard bits and pieces of the Anderson Cooper interview that you've all referenced, I heard the governor, Governor Kasich, say two big problems. They couldn't get the money they needed, and, and that's an unfortunate reality. You have to have a lot of money. But he wasn't happy with you guys around the table here, not you individually, the media. He felt that the media did not grasp, as Joe pointed out, the opportunity to, to talk about the issues. Is, is that a fair criticism of, uh, of your, uh, your coworkers in, in the press? I don't think so, at least for AP. I mean, we did have somebody following Governor Kasich uh, on the stump. Uh, stumping is a very unique Thing, but it's not necessarily newsworthy every single day. Candidates tend to repeat what they're saying over and over again. They might get one interesting question um, from a voter that, that perks a new issue that day or whatever, but it's very difficult, particularly with 16 people, to um, write to, e even if we had written every news uh, turn that happened 
among those 16 campaigns, there wouldn't have been room or appetite to read it. So in some respects, uh, the fact that the field was so big was, uh, I think, a little bit more to blame. I agree with Julie. The The huge field was a problem. And, and you've got to remember, too, that uh, so many of us who are reporters, we don't get the chance to ask those questions um, when they come up in, in the national uh, environment. A lot of that is centered on debates and, uh, like she said, the stump speeches. So someone else is asking the questions. Someone else is defining the talking points. And where we've had the chance to actually uh, talk about Governor Kasich's record or talk about uh, one of the candidates and their their actual stand on issues, we've done that. But it's very difficult to do when you're not being given the opportunity to get in there and do it. And, you know, let's face it, we're statewide. We're, we're kind of the little guys in this game. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, as a, as a former reporter and, and now one that has to live with you guys every day, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I hear what you're saying, Joe. I was extremely disappointed with the moderators on the television debates and the minutiae. And, and it was almost like they were trying to stir the bickering and the fighting as opposed to getting to the issues. Yeah, but, it was he said this about you. Now, what do you have to say about him? That, that's how I want to pick a president. I was, I was pretty startled by it. You know, they didn't come out and say, okay, we're going to talk about this issue. Give me your your point on that. Instead, it would be like, well, you know, are you or aren't you going to do that? And will you pledge this? They were trying to make news as opposed to. Well, we're, I think go, we're go ahead. Mark, I'm going to have to interrupt you. Uh, print guy, you won't understand this, but radio, we're on a clock here. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll hear more from Mark Niquette of Bloomberg, Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio. Julie Carr-Smythe of the Associated Press, and we continue talking about politics and policy on Town Hall, Ohio. Welcome back to Town Hall, Ohio, where we have three reporters in the uh, studio with us. They focus on uh, government and politics in Ohio. Julie Carr-Smythe with the Associated Press, Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niquette of Bloomberg. We were talking about whether or not the media held up the issues, gave the candidates a, a fair shot to speak their mind in the presidential race. Mark, you had, had some thoughts there? The only thing I was going to say in terms of, of defending what Governor Kasich was saying, or I think a, a, a fair criticism of the media might be just sort of the saturation of coverage that Donald Trump did get during the primary. I think that the television networks in particular realized early on that he was good for ratings. So you saw his rallies carried live on the cable networks in a way that other candidates' rallies weren't carried, you know, sort of ad nauseum coverage of Trump to the point where he didn't have to even advertise uh, in some states um, certainly not as much as other candidates because he knew and it was sort of banking on getting all this sort of, they call it free media coverage. Well, we have uh, a, another piece of the election to pay close attention to for this coming November. Julie, when it comes to our next U.S. Senator, we've got a, got a horse race going. We definitely do. We have Rob Portman, the incumbent, uh, facing our former governor, Ted Strickland, the Democrat, uh, and it's a really tight race. We just saw some more news of more millions being poured into this race by outside groups, uh, particularly the Koch brothers are very interested in seeing Rob Portman hold that seat. It's considered to be one of the most vulnerable seats for Republicans in the country, as it always is in Ohio, because we're such a divided state. So every senator holds on to his, his seat very, with a very um, 
close, close divide. Is yeah. This, is this going to be uh, an advertising campaign or a uh, a uh, discussion of the issues, Joe? Well, I think we're going to hear more issues in this campaign. We typically do in a Senate campaign. Um, but I think the one thing that w- we're seeing right now is uh, Julie mentioned all the money coming in. And I'm kind of wondering if the money's really going to matter this year. Normally it would. Normally money plays a big role in it. Um, but this year it seems like uh, people are gravitating, voters are gravitating toward the uh, anti-establishment candidates. And they're not paying much attention to the money. And if you don't believe that, look at all the money that was spent on the anyone but Trump effort, the not Trump effort. It all it all went by the wayside because Trump ended up being our presumptive nominee in the Republican Party. So, you know, if if that's the case, then, you know, is all this money that's being dumped in the Senate race going to be effective? Well, to Jill's point, it's it's interesting in this race already, you're seeing both candidates trying to paint the other as the Washington insider, mm-hmm. knowing that this is going to be an issue this year, at least as this is what's on voters' minds. And what's going to be interesting about this race, I think, is it, it's already shaping up to be a, a very close race. There was a Quinnipiac University poll that came out recently that had it within the margin of error. I think uh, Portman was up 43, 42%. But you know, that poll also showed that uh, Rob Portman is still unknown by about 42% of the electorate, or at least that percentage said they didn't know enough about him to form an opinion. So that's where a lot of money can, can come into play in terms of trying to define him or, you know, get an image in voters' minds. And this is also going to be one of the handful of Senate seats around the country that are really going to be targeted in the broader fight for control of the Senate. Democrats are trying to take back control, and they think flipping a state like Ohio would go a long way towards doing that. Well, listeners to Town Hall Ohio on a regular basis will know recently we had Governor Strickland in to do the show. We've got the invitation into uh, Senator Portman's office, so uh, we'll have the opportunity to hear his views, too. One last election question, and then I want to move on to the pot stuff going on (laughs) in Ohio. Um, Sherrod Brown as a vice presidential candidate. Uh, On the one hand... That helps Hillary Clinton, I'm assuming Hillary Clinton, have a foothold in Ohio. On the other hand, it allows John Kasich to replace Mr. Brown with a Republican senator. How's that going to shake out? Well, I I think that's to be the big reason why it wouldn't happen. Again, going to the, the broader fight of who controls the Senate, if you have Governor Kasich appoint somebody who can essentially run as, you know, the incumbent even for a short period of time, that's an advantage for the Republicans in terms of holding that seat in in Ohio. So that would be the big reason to uh, not appoint Senator uh, Sherrod Brown to that seat. But Plus, go ahead. Well, what would he bring to the table? Ohio, I mean, really? Well, you th- yes, you think that, but there are other people who could also bring Ohio to the table, and could also. You've got to remember, Bernie Sanders has a group out there of people who really are gravitating left, very far left of Hillary. So she's much more likely to go with someone who's well-known, who would be embraced by the the current Bernie Sanders crowd, I think. And uh, if she does that, I think she'll get someone who's highly regarded by Ohioans, uh, maybe not necessarily an Ohioan, but someone who Ohioans think, uh, you know, highly of. And and you could even see someone like Rich Cordray, someone like that. Um, Elizabeth Warren, someone who uh, could kind of uh, come out and be another option. That is Joe Ingalls. She is with Ohio Public Radio, also in the studio with us today. Mark Niquette, who is with Bloomberg, and Julie Carr-Smythe with the Associated Press. 
all members of the Ohio Legislative Correspondents Association, State House reporters, if you will, helping us look at some of the election issues that will be facing us as we head into the fall of 2016. Of course, there's other big things on the political front, namely marijuana, some legislation that's moving through the Ohio General Assembly, a couple of different ballot measures that might go to the voters in the fall. We're going to look at why people support one version or the other of what's going on in the marijuana legislation and ballot issue arena. And a little bit later, too, we're going to talk a little bit about journalism and the difference between what Joe, Mark, and Julie do and what folks who aren't trained in the principles of journalism do. So we hope you'll stick with us. More on the politics in Ohio and more on journalism in Ohio as we continue on Town Hall Ohio. We'll be back with more right after this. We need a good reporter for the 6 o'clock news. We need a good reporter who's going to get us the truth. We welcome you back to Town Hall, Ohio, and we're running down all things politics and policy in Ohio with Julie Carsmyth of the Associated Press, Mark Niquette of Bloomberg, Joe Ingalls with Ohio Public Radio. Last fall, Ohioans crushed a ballot measure that would have made recreational and uh, medicinal marijuana legal in Ohio. The analysis is, though, they didn't say no to pot. They said no to making it a monopoly for a few people and putting it in the state constitution. We're back to facing several marijuana questions. Kind of set the landscape for us, Joe. Well, we've had the House and the Senate both debating uh, the issue of medical marijuana. And the Senate held some town hearings different places throughout the state. And the House had a task force. And that task force was made up of a variety of people, experts and uh, lawmakers. And they've come up with some legislation. Uh, The House bill that is out there right now uh, would legalize medical marijuana. Uh, it's probably going to be changed as it goes to the Senate and goes through that process. But what it would basically do is allow people who are, are ill to get recommendations from doctors, not prescriptions, because you can't get a prescription for medical marijuana anywhere because it's not legal under the federal government. So it's, it's a recommendation. But um, people could get these recommendations uh, from their doctor, their existing doctor. And then there would be guidelines, guardrails to make sure that that doctor is actually checking in on the effectiveness of the the medical marijuana, whatever type they prescribe, and uh, checking back every three months and putting it through the process that way. Um, And there would be some oversight. But the ballot measures are a lot less restrictive. The ballot measures are a lot less restrictive. And the one that has the, uh, there are two different ballot measures that could be on the ballot. The one that has uh, the most support right now, uh, as far as money at least, is uh, brought forth by the Marijuana Policy Project. That's a group that has uh, basically had issues in other states that have passed. And one difference between uh, these two ballot issues and the one that the legislature is now considering is these two ballot issues would allow whole plant marijuana. And uh, that's a, a difference because the researchers say it's easier to research on that. And people say that, that that's, uh, it affects things that the other ki- types of marijuana don't. So uh, it's got some benefits. Right. I guess. So, the, so the whole plant crowd, I guess, says that, you know, if we have that kind of access, we can 
tailor it in a way that we can't if it's uh, limited as the House bill would have it be. So, for example, um, maybe I want uh, a particular strain that has a lot of uh, CBD in it, which is a kind of, which is an active ingredient that can help epileptics. Maybe I want one with a lot of THC, which might be helpful if I have cancer. Maybe I want to use an oil versus a, a vaporizer and that kind of thing, where the house wants to much more limit it because they say that uh, whole plant access is just a uh, sort of opening a, a door to all kinds of problems. So, Mark, what's going on in the legislature? Uh, I think I've seen it couched that it was just the, that they were simply doing this as a uh, a, a blocking measure, that if we can pass something legislatively, the ballot issues will go away. But you also read that lawmakers recognized which way public opinion is swinging. I, I think it's pretty overwhelming support among Ohioans for medicinal marijuana. Right. I think it's probably both things going on because the, the politics of this from, from last fall, as you mentioned, you know, there was overwhelming opposition to the ballot issue. But I think it was a couple of things. It was, you know, the idea that there'd be a monopoly or the cartel was the, um, you know, criticism of the, the way it was structured, but also that it married recreational with medicinal marijuana. And you're right, the polls show overwhelming support for medicinal marijuana, but not so much for recreational marijuana. So the idea, even on, on election night last November, you know, the House Speaker was saying, well, this is something the legislature is going to look at. And I think it was twofold. I think one, as you say, they, they recognize that there is overwhelming support for this. Let's see if we can't craft a legislative support, a legislative proposal that addresses that. But I think there also was a sense that, hey, if, if there's going to be medicinal marijuana in Ohio, it should be done through a legislative action and not through a ballot measure that, you know, again, the legislature wanted the control over how it gets crafted. So I think there was that motivation there too. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the folks pushing the ballot issue, particularly the one that's, you know, better funded, has already said they're more or less committed to going to the ballot because they just don't think what the legislature is going to pass is going to do what they want in terms of the type of uh, medicinal marijuana regulations we have and the, the specifics of how it gets enacted in Ohio. One thing to watch in this debate is we, we've been talking about how the outsiders and the, you know, people don't have belief in the government doing what they say they're going, the government says it's going to do. I bet that's going to rear its head in this marijuana debate. And here's how. Uh, the marijuana ballot issues will be constitutional amendments if they make it up there. Uh, the legislature's is basically the law, and a law can be changed at a whim. If lawmakers decide that, no, those ballot issues go away and, hey, maybe we don't want that marijuana after all or maybe we want to do this or that, they can change it. And I bet you the people who are, you know, coming out with these ballot issues are noticing this anti-government wave and uh, could incorporate that anti-government sentiment into getting the ballot measure up there. We'll talk a little bit more about marijuana. We've got some clean energy uh, questions before the General Assembly and I want to talk a little bit about the practice of journalism, too, since we've got three distinguished practitioners of that profession with us. Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niquette of Bloomberg, Julie Carr-Smythe of the Associated Press. We'll be back right after this. Everything he knows, he's a 
folks that are keeping an eye on the state house and state government for you are in the room today, or at least three of them. Mark Niquette is with Bloomberg, Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio, Julie Carr-Smythe of the Associated Press, all state house reporters. And before we leave the marijuana discussion, Joe is making the case that the ballot measure proponents will say, well, those lawmakers, they're tricky. They'll, they'll pass a law, and then once the ballot issue's gone, They'll, they'll make marijuana illegal again. The flip side of that is... Right. There, uh, there is a flip side to that, which is that the lawmakers are going to argue a law is much more nuanced. It can be revisited more often, and therefore uh, it can be tweaked uh, when need be, whereas we just had overwhelming support last year for uh, some pushback against constitutional amendments in this state being so permanent that they can be... Um, can be uh, immovable. Well, you guys don't officially have opinions, but I'll take editorial privilege here. Farm Bureau's position is that uh, if we're going to move ahead on this, it it should be through the legislative process for the for the case that Julie just made. Not that you're supporting Farm Bureau policy, but the idea that if we get this wrong and we need to go back and fix things, doing it through that process will be much easier. Mark, let's uh, switch tracks. Uh, some continuing debate in Ohio over whether or not uh, we should have mandates on how our energy is provided to us here in Ohio. Right. The history is uh, under the uh, Strickland administration, um, uh, standards were enacted setting certain percentages for the amount of renewable energy that had to be produced. And the legislature had a big debate last year and decided you know, those standards were too high, unreachable, even over time. So they put a, essentially a freeze on the renewable standards for two years. And the deal that was struck was, okay, we're going to freeze the standards for two years. And then after the two-year period, we'll revisit and see if we can't, you know, figure out what the appropriate standard should be. Well, we're getting to that point, And now the legislature has legislation up that would, in one case, make the freeze indefinite. In another case, I think, limit it to three years, extend the freeze for three years. And Governor Kasich is taking a position he's, he doesn't want to do that. He, I think he wants to go back to the position he had when they enacted the freeze in the first place. That was, you know, find what the appropriate standards are. Don't just freeze, you know, any implement, implementation of standards, but find the standards that are going to work for Ohio. Well, Ohio Farm Bureau policy happens to be, when it comes to energy, all of the above. So that's where we are on uh, fossil fuels and, and clean energy and renewable fuels and such. Uh, we're supportive of, of laws that help us get there. Joe, let's talk a little bit about water quality, the two big things going on in the public discussion and and to some extent at the state house. water quality in terms of keeping the lead out of our drinking water and keeping the algae out of our drinking water. What's, uh, what's going on at the state house in that arena? Well, there's a lot of talk right now, but not a lot of action on either one of those things. Uh, they've been looking at bills that would do uh, both of those things. Uh, the, the water quality, w- lead in the water, uh, that's come to light recently because of uh, a lot of television, uh, you know, uh, Ferguson. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So they've been looking at it, I'm you sorry, know, uh, Ferguson. <laughs> a lot of television. <laughs> Another Michigan attention, city, sorry. A lot of Flint. television attention in Michigan. And also, don't forget, Sebring, Ohio had uh, the issues with water quality. So uh, that's, you know, they've got them talking, but really they haven't come up with anything concrete right now that, that's being passed that, that even looks like it's going to uh, be able to solve the problem. Yeah. The, I, go ahead, Julie. I would just say that um, they are complex problems, obviously. The algae problem sort of bloomed, I guess, uh, into a, a new level when the when the 
water in Toledo was contaminated and the whole city was was in some kind of trouble with that. And I know, again, that the governor has been adamant on trying to get some of these uh, uh, issues dealt with, but of course, walking the fine line um, with the farmers and with the environmentalists and trying to figure out a way to set standards that are achievable and uh, uh, yet can happen in a relatively quick time. I think one of the things you could come to is is notification. I mean, one of the issues in Flint was that the state knew that there was too high of lead levels in Flint and sat on it for months and months and months before telling anyone. And I think there might be more discussion about what is the appropriate standard for notification when there's evidence that lead level in particular is too high in water drinking Exactly. Water. And yes. the Ohio uh, EPA uh, in the Sebring case has come out and basically said, yes, we want to improve our notification system because that the same thing essentially happened there, that some people knew but not the right people quickly enough. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with noted journalists Joe Ingalls. You guys didn't know you were noted journalists, did you? <laughs> Joe Ingalls of the Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niquette of Bloomberg, Julie Carr-Smythe of the Associated Press. And we're going to talk a little bit about how they go about their job, why you should know how they do your job, because it's going to affect what I hope at least will do, is affect the way you choose your sources of information. We'll be back with our final piece of this week's Town Hall Ohio right after this. Welcome back to Town Hall, Ohio. Our guests in the studio are all members of the State House Press Corps. Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niquette of Bloomberg, Julie Carr-Smythe of the Associated Press. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about the practice of journalism and how you, as a consumer of news, can differentiate what these three folks do versus what somebody with a keyboard and a mouse does. And my contention is, is that too many times we'll consume what we think is news without considering how it was gathered, what its intent is. Julie, just give folks a, a, a quick tutorial, very quick, on somebody gives you a story idea, you go out and cover it. What happens to make sure that what ends up on the pages of the Columbus Dispatch or the Toledo Blade is accurate? Well, there are many things. For one, uh, we always double-check our facts. We look for the opposing opinion. We have editors and copy editors who will look at our material and make sure. But the main thing is a, a news organization is going to balance it and is not going to be slanted in one way or another. And what I have been advising people a lot in the era of social media is just look at that piece of information and say, did that writer attend that meeting? Did that writer read those documents? Did that writer, were they on the spot for that? And then it, it's more legitimately news as opposed to someone who takes my story at AP, which uh, it goes very uh, far, and just opines on maybe what they thought about it or they use it or they quote from it. And so you want to look for those journalists who are actually in the room or reading the documents, making the records requests, and you're going to be better off. 
Yes, I agree. I agree. And I always tell people, uh, you know, I, I understand, uh, you know, Farm Bureau listeners, for example, um, they're interested in what's happening in, in the their farms and the farming community. So they're going to listen to a program like this and get a lot of news from it. And, and that's great. Um, but you also want to listen to things that you might not agree with. You know, it's it's not a bad thing that if you're a conservative that you once in a while watch MSNBC or if you're a liberal that once in a while you watch Fox News. Look at everything from all different angles and also re- recognize that sometimes there are people out there who pose as citizen journalists. I kind of shudder when I say that term. But uh, when, you know, they go out and they do these stories, but they, they have an ax to grind or a point that they want to make or something they want to do. That's not journalism. That is not journalism. That's opinion and uh, trying to get facts to back your opinion. Uh, journalism should be uh, concise. It should be accurate. And you need to go into it with an open mind on everything. Not only do we have the citizen journalist versus the trained journalist, but we've kind of gotten to a point that, that that's a bit frustrating to me is that if you want the news, you have to pick liberal news and conservative news, uh, mm-hmm. MSNBC versus Fox. Uh, are we ever going to return from that, Mark? Are we ever going to get back to the day when if somebody works for a branded news agency, uh, it's going to be that news yeah, it's hard to know, and and you, you kind of hope it, it would because I think it, it becomes a problem in, in the media landscape when people essentially are just going to the news sources that reinforce their own views as opposed to you know something that's going to give a more complete picture or a balancing view to maybe some of their preconceived notions. And, and that, we've seen that kind of fracturing in the media landscape. Um, we've also seen social media like Twitter, for example, change the nature of, of when we get access to information. I mean, it's you know, easy now when something breaks, people go to Twitter and look to see what's being said about it. And, and some people take their news from Twitter in a way that sort of the immediate reaction to what's going on often is not accurate. And, you know, media is trying to deal with this too in terms of, you know, media sources being out on Twitter and getting information out that yeah, way. In that part of the problem, I mean, I know you all want to be the first, but you put being right before you put being first and exactly. not everyone's constrained by that That's if you're, right. if you're first and wrong you're you're wrong i mean yes. just... right and i think that that is a is a huge issue for us now and particularly not particularly but definitely at the associated press where uh sometimes you know we're known for sometimes holding back a little bit on in areas where some of the other networks are going forward um, because we want to make sure things are are absolutely accurate before we put them out there. Well, for what it's worth, uh, there's never been a time when I've read anything or heard anything that you three do that I don't have to, I don't worry about the accuracy of the story. So my compliments to the way you three do your job you. and, and my thanks for taking time to be with us today. Joe Ingalls of Ohio Public Radio, Mark Niquette of Bloomberg, Julie Carr Smythe of the Associated Press. Thanks to all of you for tuning in on Town Hall Ohio. Town Hall Ohio is a project of the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation and is brought to you with the support of Nationwide. Nationwide is on your side. Join us again next week for Town Hall Ohio.